is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Ukrainian forces launched, quote, offensive actions in several directions in the southern region of Kherson, according to a Ukrainian military spokesperson. They had been hinting at a counteroffensive for a long time. The regional capital, also called Kherson, was the first big Ukrainian city to be captured by Russian forces in March. The operation appears to have started with rocket strikes on command centres and bridges overnight. It remains unclear whether these attacks presage a large-scale Ukrainian ground offensive in the south. Volodymyr Zelensky, Ukraine's president, accused Russia of economic terrorism as energy prices in Europe surged because of Russia throttling its gas supplies. Uniper, a German utility company, asked the German government for an extra 4 billion euros, 4 billion dollars in loans, on top of a 15 billion euro bailout agreed in July. Ben Van Burden, the chief executive of Shell, a British oil and gas company, warned that the crisis could last for several winters. Pakistan's Minister for Climate Change called unprecedented extra cycles of monsoon rain, currently flooding the country, a, quote, climate-induced humanitarian disaster of epic proportions. The death toll along its waterways surpassed 1,000, including hundreds of children. In appealing for international help, the Prime Minister, Shabazz Sharif, said that 33 million of Pakistan's 230 million people had been affected. The foreign minister added a plea to the IMF. With so many farmers' crops ruined, just as the country sits at the brink of financial catastrophe, the fund's sustained assistance is desperately needed. At least 12 people died and over 100 were injured in Iraq during a protest after Muqtada al-Sada, an influential Shia cleric, announced his resignation from politics. Hundreds of Mr. al-Sadr's followers stormed the government palace in Baghdad, the capital, clashing violently with police and rival Shia factions. Iraq has been mired in political deadlock since Mr. al-Sadr's party won the most seats in last October's election, but not enough to govern with a majority. Asian stock markets slid as traders made sense of the smoke signals sent up from a meeting of the world's central bankers who gathered in Wyoming over the weekend. The Federal Reserve's chairman, Jerome Powell, implied the fight against inflation will entail further, quote, pain. Japan's Nikkei index shed 2.7% on Monday. The yields on two-year treasuries hit their highest level since the financial crisis of 2007 to 2009. Singapore loosened its visa rules in the hope of wooing foreign workers into its tight labour market. From January, expats earning at least 30,000 Singaporean dollars, $21,500 a month, will be eligible for a five-year work pass. The Financial Centre's manpower minister, Tan Si Leng, said the move aimed to, quote, cement Singapore's position as a global hub for talent. The UN's nuclear agency, the IAEA, sent inspectors to the Zaporizhia nuclear power station in the southeast of Ukraine, even as Russian forces bombarded towns around the plant. 
Russian troops captured the facility in March, but the reactors are still run by Ukrainian staff and, according to Russia, being shelled by Ukrainian forces. Residents in Zaporizhia are being taught how to treat themselves with iodine in the event of radiation exposure. And fact of the day, 80. The number of captured soldiers from Ukraine's Azov regiment facing a Russian-controlled trial. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. A pivotal moment in Ukraine. On Monday, on the 8th anniversary of a massacre of Ukrainian soldiers in Donetsk province, the Ukrainian army launched an offensive against Russian forces in Kherson, a southern province. The historical resonance will have been clear to many of the fighters. The city of Kherson was the first big one to fall after Russia invaded in February. Ukrainian generals have hinted for months that they were preparing a counteroffensive, and in the early afternoon on Monday, they launched the attack. The Ukrainians laid the groundwork the night before by striking key bridges and Russian command points. Penetrating Russia's second line of defense will be harder. Fighting on Tuesday will be crucial in determining Kherson's fate. But Ukraine believes it is seizing the initiative. The front lines of the war have barely moved since late June. If Ukraine has now found a weak spot in Russia's armor, it could mark the beginning of a new phase of the conflict. Pakistan's Devastating Floods While droughts plague other parts of the world, swaths of South Asia are submerged by floodwaters, nowhere worse than in Pakistan. Unseasonal glacial melt from the Himalayas supercharged reservoirs in May. Monsoon rains then plunged the countryside into catastrophe. Official estimates put the death toll above 1,000, including 348 children. History suggests much worse is to come. Sherry Rahman, the Minister for Climate Change, called it a, quote, climate dystopia at our doorstep. Pakistan faces concurrent exposure to other forms of distress. The IMF's executive board met on Monday to approve the final tranches of a $6 billion loan facility drawn up earlier this year. Bilawal Bhutto Zardari, Pakistan's foreign minister, invoked the billions that will be lost to failed crops and his country's negligible carbon footprint per capita to plead his country's case. He has reason to be desperate. Commodity prices and inflationary pressures already had Pakistan's economy on the ropes even before the clouds burst. The Taliban's Empty Promises one year ago on Tuesday, Major General Chris Donahue, the commander of the 82nd Airborne Division, stepped aboard a C-17 transport plane at Kabul Airport. He was the last American soldier to leave Afghanistan after more than two decades of war following the Taliban's conquest of the capital. At that time, the Islamist group pledged to protect women's rights and forgive those who had worked for the American-led coalition. Those promises have proven hollow. Morality police patrol the streets to ensure that women are covered up. Girls are barred from secondary school. The economy is in freefall. And al-Qaeda, a terrorist group, is ensconced in Afghanistan once more. Its leader, Ayman al-Zawahiri, was in a wealthy Kabul neighborhood when an American drone strike killed him this month. Though violence has fallen precipitously, it is hardly the sort of peace that Afghans might have hoped for.
EU Ministers Discuss Russia Ministers in the EU resumed their regular meetings this week after a summer break. Russia's war in Ukraine will dominate the proceedings of an informal gathering of the bloc's 27 foreign ministers in Prague on Tuesday. Countries in Central and Eastern Europe are keen to ban the issuance of visas to Russian citizens to emphasize their isolation. But leaders in Western Europe are skeptical, fearing that such an act smacks of collective punishment. A compromise looks more likely, whereby Russia would lose preferential treatment when applying for European visas, a perk given to friendly countries. This would lumber Russian travelers with higher costs and longer wait times. It would also assuage the concerns of countries such as Finland, a firm ally of Ukraine's, which have been used by Russians as a layover point for further international travel. The People's Princess Redux A quarter of a century has passed since Diana, Princess of Wales, died in a car crash in Paris. At fault was her driver and her own failure to wear a seatbelt. A jury also found that the, quote, grossly negligent driving of paparazzi had contributed to her death. The, quote, people's princess still commands intense media attention, even if it has grown increasingly difficult to find any scrap of new information about her life. Two documentaries, Sky's The Princess and Channel 4's Investigating Diana, Death in Paris, were recently released. The fifth season of The Crown later this year will keep her in the spotlight. Princess Diana was personally shy of the media. Her most notable interview was in 1995 with Martin Bashir of the BBC in a scoop that an inquiry ruled last year was obtained by deceit on Mr. Bashir's part. Others in her family, particularly her youngest son, the Duke of Sussex, have been more forthcoming. But none has been as successful in garnering public sympathy. Princess Diana was a master of the politics of emotion in a way that hasn't been replicated since. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 hours BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Tuesday. Which U.S. state contains the Bryce Canyon and Zion National Parks? Monday. Who was the wife of Jupiter in Roman mythology? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Seamus Haney, who died on this day in 2013. God is a foreman with certain definite views. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.